one of the things I love about the church is every church is a little different because of not only the people who are there, but the architecture. The architecture, the architecture of a church can tell you a lot about the theology in the church. So in, in our church, it's kind of different. We're able to, it's a little more malleable. We can shift things around. We can change things up. But it's clear with the way that the organ is so central here on the chancel area with the big pipes in the back that a hundred years ago, when they were putting together the designs for the church, there were people who prioritized music. That music was going to be a big focus of this church and of this church's theology. You go to other churches, they'll have this giant wooden pulpit right in the middle. And there, whether they know it or not, they're prioritizing preaching, what is said by the preacher on Sunday morning. Other churches, they'll have a giant baptismal font, sometimes just uh, you know to sprinkle water. Sometimes it's huge. It's immersion to put somebody whole, their whole body in right in the center of the sanctuary. And for them, baptism is what is most important in their theology. Now, one thing that's pretty standard across churches is that they're shaped in a cruciform manner. That is, if you were to look up from above, our sanctuary is shaped like a cross. You have the center aisle, and then you have the two arms of the cross. The idea being that when you come forward for communion, you are standing in the heart of the cross. It doesn't really matter what the outside of the church looks like. Most of them are cruciform in shape. Now, a lot of them, not ours, but a lot of them will have this vaulted ceiling. And the idea being that it's supposed to look like the inside of a ship, sort of upside down and backwards, because the church is taking us on a journey. Even the word pulpit, it comes from this Latin root that has to connect with uh, steering a ship. That the pulpit is this sort of thing we have that helps to guide us in our faith. All these unique things about our church. Another thing that's unique about church is oftentimes when someone dies... Uh, they'll, they'll donate something to the church, and we honor that with a plaque or some sort of memorial. So this week, we're going to go on a little journey around the sanctuary real quick. I came and I looked because I'm still somewhat the new person here, and I, I noticed these names. Frank Marvin Mahood. Anybody had dinner with Frank recently? No? Okay. Well, that's because he died in 1926. How about Dr. Edward Williams Davis? Anybody go trick-or-treating with him this evening? No? Okay. Okay, um, George Scheller? Anybody play cards with George? No? Okay. Uh, how about C.W. Sellers? Everybody remember his math class, right? No? Okay. Um, Angelus Bible class? We still have those folk around. Henry Martin? Well, Henry Martin died in 1945. I don't know if we remember him. We keep making our way around. We got all these nice windows and all these nice brass plaques dedicated as a memorial to those who served in World War II. Fewer and fewer of them these days. The Wesley Willing Workers Bible Class. Anybody ever participated in that Sunday school club? Well, maybe not. Okay, how about uh, Bob Carr? Oh, Bob, he, he died in 1941. Okay. Mary Quisenberry. Anybody go to prom with Mary? No? Okay. Evelyn Eanes. Evelyn Eanes. Born March 13th, 1922 died March 22nd, 1922. Nine days old. Thomas Albert Wright. He died in his 30s. If any of you ever read these names before, ever taken the time to think about who these people are or were, 
I brought people from our church around and asked about all these people, and almost no one here knows who any of them are. That's a strange and yet wonderful thing. It's strange because every week that we gather in this place for worship, we are surrounded by names of people that none of us have ever met. But it's also wondrous because without them, we couldn't be here doing what we're doing right now. Our scripture today comes from the book of Revelation, chapter 21, verses 1 through 6a. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, the sea was no more, and I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adored for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, See, the home of God is among mortals. He will dwell with them as their God. They will be his peoples, and God himself will be with them. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Mourning and crying and pain will be no more. For the first things have passed away. And the one who is seated on the throne said, See, I am making all things new. Also he said, Write this, for these words are trustworthy and true. And then he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. Would you please pray with me? May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. What frightens you more? Going to the hospital or going to a cemetery? We have an immense aversion to death in our culture. We take pills that promise to make us look or feel younger, even though they don't. We listen to doctors who tell us, you know, you got to reduce your sodium, you got to reduce your sugar, and then we find ourselves inexplicably in the drive-thru line with a supersized soda and a mountain of french fries. We read these numbers and the statistics of those who die, but we assume that that fate can't befall us. And when death rears its ugly head, we do everything we can to run in the opposite direction. I'll meet with a family to prepare for a service of death and resurrection, and I am told that they don't want any children to be present for fear about the finality of death. Or in the days before COVID, I would go visit people in the hospital all the time, and I would hear them say again and again, I wish more people would come visit me, but then they understood the reluctance because no one wants to get too close to the truth. Even when I was in seminary, we were required, where I went to school, to go and tour a funeral home in order to learn everything that happens to a body from death until cremation or burial. We were escorted through the embalming process. We were shown a vast array of color-coordinated coffins, and we were even shown the inner workings of the crematory. We were told about the high temperatures it would have to reach to turn bones into ash. And before it was all over, every one of us was brought into the viewing room in which a recently dead woman was laying in her coffin, ready to receive her friends and her family that evening. We paid our respects, but more than a few of us stood still in the viewing room because it was the first dead body that many of my friends had ever seen. It shocked them so much, they couldn't even move. Death has an ugly color. I've seen it more times than I can count. I've been in 
more hospital rooms and bedrooms at the moment of death than most people ever will in their lives. Rare are the calls to a pastor when something has gone well. I get called when death shows up. So why are we talking about such things in church today? Why are we talking about death? Well, for one thing, today is Halloween. What better day could we talk about death in church? Tonight, scores of children will scour our neighborhoods dressed up as superheroes from the Marvel Cinematic Universe, or maybe they're defenders of peace and justice from the Galactic Empire, and even extinct creatures that used to roam the Earth. But of course, some of them, some of them will dress as more frightening figures, those who toe the thin line between life and death. Halloween forces us to confront death in a very odd way, through children. Now, I've come to rejoice in this strangest of holidays, not only because I get to sort of dress up every Sunday anyway, and not only because I have an unhealthy addiction to Kit Kats, but because it is a necessary opportunity for us to come close to an inconvenient truth that no one makes it out of this life alive. It is good and right for us to think about death on Halloween because it's what we're celebrating in a weird way. Remember years ago when I was working at Duke University Hospital, I had the on-call shift on Halloween. It was one of the worst nights of my life. More traffic accidents happen on Halloween than any day during the year. And what's worse is people come in with fake cuts and bruises and doctors don't know first what to treat because they don't know what's going on. And when I served on that Halloween, the worst part was that at 3 o'clock in the morning when I was so exhausted, I came around a corner and there was a nurse dressed as a witch. And she said, ha, 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 I said, that's not funny. <laughs> so we remember death on Halloween. But this year, I'm not sure that we need the reminder. Every day we're bombarded with the statistics about COVID-19. More people, more Americans have died from COVID-19 than died from the Spanish flu pandemic a hundred years ago. More people have died. The statistics, they bombard us. COVID-19 has total disregard for all of our pretensions. We are met with masks on the young and the old alike, making it impossible for us to deny the gravity of our current situation, even even now, with vaccines being available for 5 to 12-year-olds, imminently, death keeps rearing its ugly head. Now, church. Church is a strange place where, even though the rest of the world actively engages in a denial of death, we stare at it every single week. We put up crosses, a sign of death. We sing about those from whom their labors rest. We even feast on the Lord. We are compelled to face the truth that death is ugly. But it's here, squarely in the ugly face of death, do we dare to proclaim the gospel, the good news of God. There is a new heaven and a new earth. A voice cries out, see, the home of God is among the people. God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Death will be no more. Does that give you goosebumps? It stops me dead in my tracks when I hear that, because that is the good news. In the end, death is no contest for the Lamb of God who comes to take away the sins of the world. Death is defeated by the King of Kings who comes to be in our place. The death of death is made possible by the one who breaks forth from the tomb in resurrection. Revelation, the book of Revelation, it's a wild ride. You want to really live into Halloween? Go home and read the whole book. 
I mean, it's got these fantastical images and scenes that go beyond our ability to comprehend. They point to God's cosmic victory over the entirety of the cosmos. It's a vision granted to John of Patmos. And the vision boldly proclaims that no amount of pain, no number of graveyards, no heap of hospital hallways have the final say. Now, they can sting. They can hurt like nothing else on earth. They might derail everything we think we know to be true, but they are not the truth. There's a reason that this text that we're reading today is a text that had been associated with Christian burials since the very beginning. There's a reason that we read these words when we bury our friends and our families and even our children. They are words of hope for a people who feel no hope. Whether it was the earliest Christians suffering under the weight of the Roman Empire or someone recently who had to say goodbye to someone for the last time. These are words that mean something. These are the words that guide and shape and nurture the saints. In addition to Halloween today, we're celebrating all saints. It's a moment in the liturgical year, in the liturgical calendar, where we read the names. We have time of pause and reflection for all who have died over the last year. It's this somber a very holy moment in which we pause and we reflect on the dead. It's an opportunity to imagine what God might be doing with us until we die. Now the all and all saints is really important, lest we fall prey to the temptation of believing that saints are only those perfect Christians. Saints are just sinners in the hands of a loving God. If there's any real requirement for being a saint, it's just admitting that we're not yet what we can be. It's coming to grips with the condition of our condition while holding fast to the wonderful good news of Jesus that the Lord does his very best work with people like us. God loves to make something out of nothing. God deals in impossible possibility. Jesus is in the business of resurrection. John sees this new heaven. He sees this new earth. And they're not replacements for the old ones. In our deaths, we're not beamed away like we're on Star Trek to some distant place of existence. God does not reject the world. The new heaven and the new earth are transfigurations of what we have right now. They are the created order raised and glorified, which means that wherever we find brokenness today, whether it's in our lives, in our families, in our institutions, God is actively working to rectify those wrongs right now. God calls us to live into new things now. What John sees has already happened. It is happening and it will happen. God made all things new in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. God makes all things new. Whenever there is one in Christ, there is a new creation, Paul says. And God will make all things new in the end. And what we call in the church the eschaton. All saints, what we do today, it allows us to be re-communed with every saint that has come before us, with all the saints who are in our midst. And strangely enough, connects us with the saints who will arrive long after we're gone. We belong to and we believe in the communion of saints. Now the church is a peculiar thing. We move forward by looking backward. We live now because of death. What we are is because of what we've inherited, but we also are who we are because in baptism we've died with Christ in order that we might live. But then we always wonder, how can we know this to be true? None of us know the writers of Scripture. We don't even know the people who wrote the songs we were singing in worship today. 
We, I can't prove any of this. The resurrection of the dead, the communion of saints, the great cloud of witnesses, it's not that kind of knowledge that can be proven. It is a gift of faith. It is something that we can only trust to be true. But I know it to be true because my grandmother told me it was true. And I trust my grandmother more than anyone. And she knows it to be true because her mother told it was true. And her mother told it was true. I trust the great preachers of my life who told me that it was true. I trust people like you who tell me that it's true. We are part of the great cloud of witnesses. All we can do is witness. We can see what happens and point to the truth. On this spookiest of holidays, as we prepare to look death squarely in its face, as we take time to give thanks for the saints, we do so in the light of these words. Jesus says, I am the resurrection and I am life. Whoever trusts in me will live. I am the beginning and the end, the alpha, the omega. Years ago, I was tasked with a funeral service for a man who had died. He was a wonderful, wonderful human being. He, at one time, owned and operated an independent grocery store. And after he died in the days leading up to his funeral, I met all these people from the town who said, you know, one time I went to the grocery store, I didn't have any money, I hadn't been paid, and George, he gave me my groceries for free. Again and again and again, I heard people say, he was there for me when I needed it most. So when he died, there was not an empty spot in a pew in our church. I mean, it was filled to the brim. And I stood up in the pulpit, and I, I preached for his funeral service, and the family had said that when the service ended, they wanted everyone present to go to the cemetery. And most times today, we have a lot of people in the sanctuary for the service, but the family usually says, we just want the family at the burial. But not this family. They said, we want everybody. So we all loaded up in our cars, and we followed the hearse, and we went out to the cemetery. Beautiful, beautiful cemetery. Rolling hills, just totally picturesque, surrounded by farmland. I mean, just beautiful, perfect weather. We had like 150 people with us. So it took forever for everybody to get out of their cars and get over to the burial spot. But I, I went with the pallbearers. We, we got the casket. We carried it over to the hole, laid him to rest. I led us in a short service, prayed. I even grabbed the dirt, let it sift between my fingers, and I put it on his, on his grave to say goodbye. And I said to everyone there, as I always say at burials, now we're going to have a time of silence. That everyone here can reflect for a moment on how we've seen God at work in the life of the person we now bury. That we might give thanks for this man to whom we now say goodbye. But it's not goodbye, it's until next time. So be silent in prayer, in reverence for this man. So with the dirt still caked on my fingers, I put my hand on this wood casket and I waited in silence. Everybody there, very reverent, bowed their heads. Now, people were being reverent. The only irreverent person was the reverend, because I opened one eye. And I looked over, and a solitary cow had decided to join us at the edge of the graveyard. But I thought, we can make it through this. So we were still in silence. But a moment passed, and that one cow be became a gaggle of cows. And they all gathered there watching us. And, and then one person started to laugh. And I knew it was over. 
because that person started to laugh, which made the person next to him start to laugh, which made, and 150 people started laughing, and the more everyone laughed, the more the cows mooed, and the more the cows mooed, the more the people laughed. I mean, it became this cacophonous, crazy adventure out in the middle of this cemetery. I tried my best to bring some holiness back to the moment. In the name of the Father, I said, Get, let's all go home. Afterwards, one of my church members, this sweet old woman, she came up to me, and I, I know my face didn't look very happy with what had happened. And she said, preacher, what's wrong with you? I said, can you believe, everyone started laughing. The man is dead. And we were laughing at cows mooing. And she said, preacher, what did you say today? He will wipe away every tear from our eye. Death will be no more. She said, preacher, if what you said is true, then we better laugh because we know how the story ends. We know how the story ends. Amen.